welcome to Ron Book Pod. I'm your host, Sarah. Today is our final episode for Pride Month. Today we'll be focusing on found families and queer romances by queer authors of color featuring queer characters of color. Today my guest with me is up-and-coming author Costanza Wolf. Welcome, Costanza. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm really excited to have you. It's been so much fun talking to you ever since I met you. Was it RT16? Was it RT16? I think it's four years, so yes, RT16. It's been a fun ride. It has. I mean, the ups and downs. (laughs) (laughs) I get to see you in Georgia, then I get to see you in the UK, and we get to go to Gaze and Workers, and it was so much fun. So you are both a reader and an aspiring writer or upcoming writer? How do you describe your writing? Fledgling, because I am writing. I'm just not finishing, but I'm now inspired and I am finished. Yes, I have I have started to finish, if that makes sense. So that's that's cool. So I would call myself a fledgling writer. And I know you've been telling me about your um, rugby romances and your yes. rock star romances. Yes. Which ones do you want to talk about your writing a bit? Yes, I would love to. My rugby romances have overtaken my rock star romances because my rock star romance characters took a very big detour and then another. And so I'm kind of on to like, I don't know, manuscript draft three. And I was a little bit like, OK, you guys are clearly playing with me. <laughs> so <laughs> when I went to that UK meet where we met in, in the UK, I spoke to an amazing um, cover designer, to Ferret, and I was just saying, you know what, sometimes I think I should just do rugby romance. And she was like, yes, totally do that. People would love that. And I thought, okay, well, I do have a fondness for rugby. And then also at that meet, I met the lovely Jack Ladd, and he is involved in rugby, coming from rugby. And he told me, just as an aside in a conversation we're having a whole other time, that there is in the UK an inclusive rugby league. So it's not just exclusively for gay people or for queer people, but um, guys, it's a, I think it's, as far as I understand it, it's a, a, a league of um, male identifying people, but nevertheless, it is for absolutely inclusive for people who are queer and I just thought this is this this would be awesome and that's why when you said to me would I like to do this podcast I thought yes because one of the reasons I decided to write this series was because I love reading a sports romance but eventually it starts to pull when you get to the closeted can't come out will they come out come out come out storylines or all the characters are white and it's never so much whiteness so much so much whiteness particularly those football romances where (laughs) where everyone's like with like one guy called DeAndre in the background no so I didn't want that but also I realized that one of the things that I loved about it was that these people were found family for each other that there was this wonderful other kind of environment where we could see people falling in love but without the pressures of having to be hidden or closeted or whatever so that really inspired me and that's when these characters all started turning up in a pile in front of me and so my my first book which will come out is as a serialization is about a mixed race character called Raph and his love interest who is white and working class so I'm wanting to talk a little bit about the crossovers well the intersections you know because one of the things I find quite tiring um, when I am reading a um, a romance with a character of colour in it is often there's just them 
and they don't have any black friends and they are often orphaned if the author is is, is not a person of colour because they don't know what to do with the family situation. So I was just loving being able to like pepper this whole thing with people of colour. But what I realised is one of the struggles I had as I was going along, as I was forming the story and what I wanted to include, has really come to fore in recent times with what's going on globally, um, is this whole idea of anti-racism. Adriana Herrera wrote, wrote about this in a tweet yesterday, and it's been taken up by a number of other authors today. And I love the fact that um, they're talking about the struggle. And I didn't know how much struggle to put in or not to put in, but essentially, because I love the town I live in, but it's really not very full of people of colour who are black, Afro-Caribbean or African, that's a thing for these characters. You know, they're, they're like they can count the black people in the town <laughs> just about and they know each other and they smile at each other. And that's a thing. But there's other struggles, you know, and I wanted to be able to write about that. And I was so excited to see that you know people are talking about romances in that context so it's not just that it's a diverse romance but also that it's a romance where I'm able to show a bit of the struggle as well. Yeah because you grew up in the UK with your grandmother. I was born in Trinidad to a Trinidadian father so that's in the Caribbean but I was raised entirely my, my whole life I have been raised in an all-white family so for me being mixed race and questions about every book I've ever written really is about identity so there's, you know, that's one of the themes very definitely that's going to be coming up in this first book and the next one as well. That's really awesome. I can't wait to read them. Are you going to be putting them on your Patreon? Or... I am going to be putting them, I'm going to be putting the first two or three chapters on my Patreon for free. And then from then on, I will be releasing them monthly. And, and then like Tail and Charlie, like a month or two later, I'll probably be putting them onto my website. That's awesome. I can't wait to read those. I, l- I yes. love hearing about them in, in the group chat when you're when you're talking about them. This, yes, when, when you foolish things that make me laugh. It inspires me to work on my books. And I, mean, I think out of the three of us, Amelia has her little short stories and I know her, her little snippets of things. It's, it's always so much fun discussing writing with each other. It is, um, it is. So today we're focusing on queer characters of color by queer authors of color. And the first book I wanted to talk about was Yes, Roya by Lee Spike Trotman and Emily Denich. Oh, such uh, a good thing in the world. Very kinky and very steamy graphic novel from Iron Circus Comics, which Spike owns. So it's a black woman-owned comic publishing company, which is amazing. Um, Spike is great. She puts out so many cool things that I'm just like, give, give me every time I see her or her booth at conventions, I'm like, okay, I just want this, 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 this. And yes, Roya takes place in 1963, and it's about up and coming comic artist Wiley Kogan, who goes to visit his hero, who he stumbles upon fetish art, and he's like, oh god, I, oh, I'm just gonna put this in my pocket, and it turns out <laughs> that that art is not by the man he's visiting, but by the man's wife, Roya. And it's just absolutely beautiful and very kinky. Roya is the only femdom I probably really like reading about. Yes, yes, she's awesome. She's so, she's such an amazing character. And I totally discovered this graphic novel through you. So, <laughs> so it's a great place for us to start. But it's so, it's so good. And of course, it's just very recently 
been part of a Kickstarter, hasn't it, to be a colourised version to come out, which I'm very definitely going to be accumulating as soon as I can. Yes, the, the Kickstarter for that finished, and I'm sure Spike will have pre-orders up for that on Iron Circus website and other outlets as soon as she can. She lists it as MFM, but I would say it's more MMF. I would say that too. Oh, what is his name? Is his name Joseph? Joseph. No. Joseph, yeah. yeah Royal Riley and Joseph, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And because Joseph and Roya are together, they're not married, and Roya uses his name to to get her finished artwork and other stuff out there because that's easier. Not so easier, but it's it's the choice they made so that she could further her career. And he doesn't mind that. He goes along with all of it. He does whatever Roya wants. And then Wiley's like, oh, this is you're, you're, you want me to be kinky with you guys? I'll be kinky with you guys. And then it, I just love how the relationship develops and how when the, like, the older couple that Wiley lives with is like, well, you have to make a choice now. We don't like your friends. And Wiley's like, that's okay. You don't need to like them. I See how I even like her. <laughs> I can't get out quickly enough. Yes, that's a really lovely moment. I kind of wish it was longer, but it's just, it's it's easier for me to read, like, erotic comics than it is, like, erotic prose romance for some reason. I don't know if it has to do with the lovely visuals you get, possibly. And the visuals are quite lovely in this book. They are, they are really gorgeous. I mean, they're so beautiful. And I agree with you because I think it's that classic thing, isn't it, of if you ever stumble upon a thread or a post in an author's group about sex words I don't like, every, every word is covered at some point. Someone's like, I hate this word. You can't call a penis this and still find, and I'm not going to find it erotic anymore. You can't. And the joy, really, of of erotic art in that sense is that there's no words to put you off. So I think that probably makes it a little bit easier. But the images in this are just absolutely devastatingly beautiful. Yes, they're absolutely gorgeous. I can't wait to. Because I think they were also going to do a new cover for it as well Mm. with Kickstarter. Um, cool. So that that will it, it's going to be a much more steamy cover. That's oh really? And that's <laughs> what I believe I read on the Kickstarter. That's going to be a much more steamy cover, which is in well, line with what... my hiding place then, because at the moment, yes, Roya sits on my shelf innocuously amongst the romances which my boys don't peruse. Although I recently introduced my ten-year-old to Heartstopper, which he absolutely loves, so I may have to start defending my shelf fairly <laughs> soon. <laughs> but but I I yeah I would I would love a steamy cover that sounds amazing. I love that you introduced um Yuli yeah. Yuli's the oldest Yuli to Heartstopper just well, being we were, discussing, we were discussing bisexuality and you know sometimes you want to be able to just you know really 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 normalize that stuff so yeah. Here kid have a comic. <laughs> exactly it's really cute come on <laughs> you loved it and you devoured it let me tell you all three volumes in an afternoon. One of the other comics I had on the list was Our Dining Table by Orimita. It's a Japanese manga. Um, it's this very sweet story about this salaried businessman who's just kind of sitting there eating this rice ball. And this little kid runs up to him and is like, that's a big rice ball. Can I have somebody like this giant oversized rice ball? And he's like, sure. And like the little kid's brother comes over and it's like, oh, all like, oh my God, I'm sorry that he took your lunch and all stuff like that. And they start meeting with like these multiple rice balls and like slowly he teaches them how to cook and he goes over there constantly and he feels 
like he he doesn't feel close to any of his family so he's and then like um it's the father the older brother and the little brother and the mom passed away for whatever reason and he's te- he teaches them how to cook and they how to share meals together and it's just it was so lovely because it's also coming kind of a quasi coming out in that they just didn't have necessarily words or like they hadn't experienced it yet. And there was like, Oh, this, this is what I want. I want this family and I want you. Let's start a relationship. And it's, it's just a very sweet, I think it's only one volume and I don't mm-hmm. know if there'll be a sequel, but it was just, it's so lovely. And it just, it, I love things that center around like food and like mm-hmm. community that way. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, that's that sounds lovely. Yeah, that's not one of the ones that I'm I, I'm slowly but surely coming around to understanding more about the amazing things that are available in graphic novels. But I'm yeah, I'm very definitely late to that party. But I've been finding some some really amazing stuff and very definitely. Yeah, I'm open to more suggestions for sure. Because is it harder to get certain kinds of books in the UK because of how publishing works? Yes. Definitely. The thing that that I think a lot of people in the US don't understand is how very, very unlikely you are to find a romance section in a bookshop here of the major chains of bookshops. If you're in like a provincial town like I live in, we did. I've lived in this town for 10 years and I think for a year there was a romance section and it was full of like Stephanie Lawrence and I never saw a queer book in it ever once. You can find all of the YA romances of you know diversity or or what have you but as soon as you get into what is like either category romance or romance that is for adults yeah no there isn't a section and um in london the biggest bookshop in europe has a romance section and as yet other than the fact that it has non-romances in it you know (laughs) things where one of them dies at the end it doesn't have a queer section in the romance section but it, at least it has one. Whereas if you go to Foils, which is like a super famous, super famous bookshop on the Charing Cross Road. So one of the most famous bookshop streets in, in, in Europe, if you care about that kind of thing, it does not have a romance section. It just doesn't. It categorically doesn't have one. It's got like queer writing, but there there might be one or two romances in there, but not so as you'd write home about. For example, you would find Call Me By Your Name, but you would find nothing that we're talking about. Nothing, yeah. just nothing. I remember when I was in London, and I think it was the day before I met up with you, I was wandering around, and I ended up in a Waterstones. Mm-hmm. And, I like, the, the YA that we have out in hardcovers here first, it was out in, like, paperbacks over there, but I was just like, I can just buy this at home, like, because it was, like, a mainstream YA that we have, but I couldn't mm-hmm. find any romance and stuff like that. And then I think... Mm-hmm. I ended up at like Persephone's bookshop, which is like old, out of print female or female identified authors from yeah, like. It's the men's literature, essentially, isn't it? And then we went to Gaze the Word, and Gaze the Word doesn't have a romance section. There's like romancy things mixed in, but it was very hard to find a specific romantic section that yeah, used the word. Absolutely. And I mean, even when I was in Wales, I don't remember seeing no, anything. No, it's not. And that has a knock-on effect into indies where, you know, 
I I know from having, you know, spent, I don't know how many times I've visited the US, eight or nine, but you can always find me in a bookshop when I go there because I just want to see what else is around. And what I've always found interesting is that, of course, some indies take a position that, you know, romance is not qualitative fiction, blah, 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 nonsense. But here, that is absolutely it's so reinforced by the major chains that, you know, an indie publisher who doesn't get it, sorry, an an indie bookshop owner who doesn't get it, absolutely feels vindicated in the, you know, we're not stocking any of that because nobody stocks any of that. I mean, literally nobody stocks any of that. And I'm so dying for us to get a romance bookshop, you know, the same as the Rip Bodice, because it would be, it would be successful. Categorically, it would be successful. And it's, it's just such a, yeah, it's a real bone of contention with me. And I would love to be giving my money to people people in bricks and mortar um particularly independent bookshops but they are not catering to me at all like at all because i know also i was reading about how in the uk they publish and i think you mentioned it was like 200 books by black authors a year maybe yes yeah like, out of out of what was the number Hundred eighteen thousand titles something like that yeah it was it's only like 200 it's, by it's black authors insane it's an insanely upsetting percentage Six point, I think it's six point eight percent of the UK population is people of colour, and three point four is black people. So even if you take that percentage against, you know, one hundred eighteen thousand, you come up with a way bigger number than two hundred. Yeah, it's just it's to have to deal with entrenched racism and some white supremacy and everything of all the kinds of barriers that happen in publishing, and it's. Absolutely. I mean, and it's, and it's I, I definitely think that that's exactly the reason why romance isn't isn't stocked in our shops. Funnily enough, if you want to buy MF romance, there is a, there is a chain of stores where you would look, which is called WH Smith. But it's more of a news agent and you can buy stationery there and newspapers and magazines and chocolate and stuff. So it's not like your serious bookshop. And um, and you can for sure buy romances in there. But I am not promising you there's a romance section. But it's not it's in what the thing is in Waterstones it's not even that they don't have a section it's that they don't have the authors on the shelf because I, I, I did not I did not see anything and I wandered yeah, around the Waterstones for like an hour and I was like why am I here there's nothing yeah, I want also I'm going to be at a convention in four days yeah 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 exactly and you can make out like a bandit for sure no it was it was I was in an ornery mood once and I literally went round this particular gigantic bookshop in London looking by name for authors you know like big name um straight writing romance authors nothing there was nothing 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 yeah mostly when I'm when I'm on my well when I was on my bookstore adventures you can't really go on bookstore adventures right now you can do it online but it's not the same as driving to one I remember there was one in Connecticut I went to and they had a sci-fi section they had a mystery section they didn't have a romance section and I asked she's like well we have Danielle Steele and Nora Roberts and I was like okay yeah okay <laughs> I, will, I will keep on my way now um I think I ended up I forget what I ended up buying I think it might have been a picture book or something like that um but it was just like it's very hit or miss even over here and some of the bookstores especially in Boston are they're starting to be better about it well, they're um, so much better here it's I, I like yeah the bar is so low that making it better would not be a challenge at all for any bookshop literally a shelf 
Now, one of the um, books I read that I read recently is The Black Flamingo by Dean Atta, who mm. he is a black Caribbean Greek British author. Greek uh, Cypriot, Sarah, get it right. I think the character's Greek Cypriot, but he listed himself as Greek, oh, so I don't know if he's Greek. Oh, okay. So I don't know if he's okay. also Greek Cypriot. I don't know. Um, but it's about this young boy, Michael, growing up in London and coming to terms with him being gay and trying to figure out what he wants. And, like, he ends up at college finding drag and he calls himself the Black Flamingo. And it's about growing up mixed race in the UK. And he doesn't f- and he goes to college and he goes to the Greek society, but he doesn't feel Cypriot Greek enough because he doesn't really speak Greek because his mother didn't speak Greek and he hasn't really grown up with his father and he didn't so he went to the black Afro-Caribbean student society but then he didn't feel black enough and then he didn't feel queer enough at the queer student group and then he found the drag group and it was like this is perfect this is what I want (laughs) This, this is how I want my this is how I want to be and it's just it's a it's very short but it's absolutely lovely and how it talks about identity and growing up in the UK and just how queerness and blackness and all those things interact and it was just yeah. it was just very lovely yes I've started it I'm well I'm, I'm about halfway through it and I'm I'm loving it I'm really loving it the observations are just so true and um yeah i you know it's it's absolutely the lived experience of so many of my mixed race friends that you know you get to university and you try to establish a bit of your identity a bit more strongly away from your parents you know who are you really and yeah there's a lot of bumping into not enough of this not quite enough of that not enough of something else i know that for me i started to really feel like i'd found a home when i started reading queer romance it was one of those things where um or otherwise with other mixed race people. I have several mixed race friends and we have a real empathy for one another, but there's not a society for that. <laughs> there should be, there should be, but there I'm isn't. Sure something. So it's his experience very definitely, I think accurately reflects the, 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 the living of being a mixed race person in the UK, particularly a visibly mixed race person. If you're Caucasian, you can kind of fly under the radar, but if you're a light skinned, um, curly-haired person, then yeah, you you we we do we form a category almost, I guess. Because I remember he, him and his sister have different fathers, and I talked yeah. about how the sister didn't look like him, and yeah. she didn't know how she wanted to identify, and she didn't it didn't go into too much about how she identified, but it was just it showed that they had two very different lived experiences. Yes. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's a beautiful reflection on, on the truth of this kind of situation for a lot of people, not everybody. And I like that he's put that subtlety in there that you're saying that Anna, his sister and Michael don't have the same shared experience of, of mixed raceness. I think that's also a very, a very real phenomenon because that mix means different things to different people. Yeah, the US cover for it is absolutely gorgeous. Mm. Um, I love it so much because it has it has him staring like directly at the camera wearing like you can see a bit of like the pink feather boa that he wears and it's just it's phenomenal the both versions of it are on audio and audible and I was like what is one is nine minutes longer than the other what exactly is the what difference? have they got 
Wow. <laughs> I'm sure it's just that the person was speaking faster or slower or more pausey, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> don't know. One of the other things that I read that's not a romance or, a, well, it's technically YA. It's a memoir slash manifesto. Mm-hmm. It's All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson. And it's about him growing up black and gay and femme in New Jersey and it's about his relationships with his family and with the society he grew up in and going to private school versus his siblings went to public school and it's just it each section deals with a different aspect of him growing up like it's his relationship with his grandmother who is like I will support you because I know you won't have the same support and friends as the other grandchildren I have because you are gay and it's also that he has multiple queer people in his family so he talks about how this isn't always typical of everyone else's experiences and I just thought it was a really beautiful memoir it's apparently being turned into a tv show awesome so that that would be I like that that's good that it it, is read by him so I think when the author reads it themselves there's more it's more impactful yeah, the, the emphasis, you know, those real subtleties of, of emphasis in the voice or emotion, you know, are genuinely, you know, it's not just someone who's created a beautiful sense of a character over the top of the author's words or ideas, you know, you know, you're getting the whole thing. I think that's wonderful. Yeah, I know you mentioned that you really loved Pink Slip and From from Scratch. No, it was from scratch. It wasn't Pink Slip. I'm, it, that's on my... Hmm. Pink Slip is tricky for me only because I'm not massively into spy stories, but I keep eyeing it because I think Katrina Jackson's writing is so fabulous. I shall probably be persuaded to read a book about spies simply because I want more of her words. But I read from scratch and um, wow, what a fantastic book. She writes so well and her that's MMF. I don't read a lot of MMF, but um, yeah, I, this was fabulous. It was so good. And I, um, what did I like about it so much? It's a very, the, the characters are very down to earth people. What I really love is that she's created these people and they're just normal, you know? One of them is, um, she owns a bakery and then the two guys, one's the fire chief and the other's a policeman, but they've got integrity. And I'm so glad that you shared that tweet yesterday that um, Adriana wrote about anti-racist romance because that's what that was that's why I was so blown away by it because essentially as we learn each of these the the stories told from the point of view of each of the characters so they are arriving we've got we, we first meet Mary and she has been very let down by life she's got a wonderful support network of a couple of friends but she decides she wants to do this thing and start afresh so she moves to this town called Seaport and that's where she bumps into the fire chief and the head of police in a small town so they've got these tiny departments but both of these men have known each other for a long time they were in the marines together and they've both taken a view one is black Knox is black and he's the um, fire chief and the third person in their triad is Miguel and he has absolutely he does this wonderful backstory telling you about himself and how he's how he's come to be in this town but what he's fundamentally important to him is that he does not want in any way shape or form to be involved with corrupt policing and he and he lays it out there and it's 
it's so refreshing to read that because I feel super awkward where I'm reading small town American romances where there's this, you know, this amazing salt of the earth cop guy. And you're like, yeah, but I know, I know you've been turning a blind eye to something because you're mentioning nothing, you know? Like, I don't believe everyone around you is doing a good job and and I can't believe you've not, you haven't mentioned it. And so what I just loved was I'm drawn into this story, but right from the get-go, you know, Katrina is establishing that these people are not here to play in white supremacy. They're not patsies to it. They're not just taking their paycheck and looking away. It's I mean, and it's not that it's a super political story at all. It's a gorgeous story of three people discovering that they work amazingly well together. But equally, yeah, it's anti-racist and I loved it. I loved it. I think I own that one. And it's been on my TBR because I have to wait to be in that mood of, am I, how, how steamy do I want my story to be right now? But yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's steamy. On the more sure, side. for sure it's steamy, but it's it's beautifully well written and it's absolutely classic MMF. So the dudes are together as well, because I think we have feelings, both of us, about <laughs> stories where there's like no homer. I'm like, no, no, this is not the book for me. That's an automatic DNF. And this goes nowhere near any of that. Yeah, it gets frustrating when it's polyamorous romance and they're just into her and not each other. And it's like, I get that probably happens in real life a little bit, but at the same time, come on. Yeah. And this and these two aren't these two guys, even though they've been friends and colleagues for 15 years, they're not together at the beginning of the story. So it's it's a real wonderful progression of this relationship. Also, the development of the town. You also kind of start to fall for the town. And yeah, it's 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 really I loved it. I loved it. I didn't. There's one that I read recently that's it's a um, I think it was like a 5000 word short story. Nope, don't do that. It is Take Me Home by Hudson Lynn. It's like an 8,000 oh. little word short story that took me like four days to read because my brain was like, you aren't reading anything right now. And I was like, yeah. okay. It's about this older, they're, they're both, they're both probably in like their 70s. It's this older Chinese man and this older black man who's a widow. And oh. they, they're kind of like, friends but not friends like they both go to the same cafe and the black guy always gets his like regular black no cream no sugar coffee and the other guy gets tea and they like kind of have like a little witty banter back and forth and it's just so very sweet and very loving and it's like you don't get to see older queer characters that much you don't you don't it's very true and it's always lovely I, I want more older romances in Romancelandia because romance tends to stick them in their 20s maybe their 30s and then like we're like ah, no, how about they're all like 19 right in college and it's like they, no give us give us the old people give us yeah give us the, the second or third chance post widow romances or something like that and that's yeah. the only time where I'm like yes like the death of a past lover is more than okay <laughs> yes yeah, that's understandable. Yeah, I, I, yes, I'm agreeing with you. I love characters in their 40s and 50s because they're 
you know, yeah, there's there's still some life in those people, you know. And I I love the fact that it's probably an author who is that age who's like, yeah, come on, I am very far from over the hill. There's still a lot of pep in me. Let me write some characters who are the same. And I I always really enjoy reading characters who who are those ages. But I think elders, I think, is also a really awesome an awesome place for us to be looking for stories for sure. Yeah, because we as a queer community, we don't get there's a disconnect between my generation which is the late 20 somethings the teenagers and then the older people especially because we lost so many people to the AIDS crisis that there's there's just a disconnect of we don't know our history and that's something that with pride month we should know our history we should be able to find that history and sometimes you just need a little nudge in the direction to find it yes Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I think that's a really valid point. And it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's, 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 it's interesting from my perspective, because I know more about Stonewall and the development of queer rights in the US than I do about in the UK. And that's, that's not great. <laughs> I need to know more about what's, I mean, I know, kind of certain moments in in history, but kind of like the, the general sweep, like, why did we decriminalise um, um, gay relationships? in the 1960s I don't know but I I should probably find out and you know why wasn't it sooner and why was it then and yeah there's there's a lot for me to learn and maybe I'm going to devote myself a bit more to that right now because it's yeah I've got some reading time on my hands because I'm I'm very definitely I've been rereading favorites more than I've been delving into into new stuff which is why it's been really cool preparing for this because I've been able to go back to some of my some of my favorites and just reconnect with them you know and one of those is definitely if I'm allowed to throw one into the mix right now so yeah, is is Tea at the End of the World by Atom Yang which is just that's it's also a, a, a pretty it's I think it's like a hundred pages so I'm not quite sure how many words that is but it's like it's a hundred and small number pages but it's a really it feels like a really complete novella you know and it's and it's really quite unusual because it's it's I guess it's essentially sci-fi it's about the end of the world maybe and um and two people who find themselves in the midst of it one of whom is a um is a guy called Herc who the week before the events unroll before us been left by his partner of many years and Piotr who is an astrophysicist which is handy when the end of the world is going to come by a very large meteor and um or is it and I mean and it's so well written that even though I knew that this was a romance I had to stop halfway through the story and just double check that it was a romance because I was so convinced he'd like completely convinced me of all of the things that were going on and there wasn't going to be an easy solution to the end of it but the writing is amazing and it ties in with what you were saying about elders because Piotr is is definitely at least in his 50s and um and uh Herc is I think in his I think he's about 40 so it's really in that kind of that interesting age where you've you know, you've been knocked about a bit by life, but you might still have some some hope in you. And Herc is an, an amazing character. He's Chinese-American and Piotr is Russian. And they end up sharing a whole load of stories of their um, their their separate cultures, attitude and habits with tea. And it's, it's just it's gorgeous, you know, to have this very intimate, cosy, domestic kind of exchange of information about samovars or, you know, oolong tea, but in the midst of, <laughs> in the midst of this, like, <laughs> apocalyptic situation. 
but it's 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 beautifully well written and Atom Yang also wrote a short called Red Envelope which I also fell in love with and if he ever produces anything else ever I'm going to devour it the day it comes out because it's his writing is just gorgeous and I, I started Red Envelope I think yesterday or the day before and yeah. it's it's an absolutely it, it's also very short it's like taking me a lot longer but suddenly my brain's like reading what is this but it's it's such a lovely little because we there's only a handful of queer romances that focus on the Chinese New Year or romances in general that yes. focus on the Chinese yeah. New Year. I know Jackie Lau, she has one or two, and it's just it, it's just lovely to read when you're in a mood and it's just so lovely. Yeah. But I think also the great thing about Red Envelope in the context of today's topic being found family is that there's there's Clint, who's Chinese, and there's Weaver, who's American, Caucasian. And Weaver's had a hard family situation his whole life. And so he's made incredibly good friends with Clint's cousin, Maggie, so also Chinese. And Weaver is kind of adopted by Maggie's family. So it's like literally found family and it's, it's so lovely. And and yes, there's so much stuff about family and what, you know, what Chinese families are like when they get together. And um, yeah, it's 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 really lovely. But it's but that relationship that Clint has with his cousin and the cousin has with Weaver is is really. Yeah, it's it's a really lovely thing. But also the sense that he's just been completely embraced by this Chinese family because he needed a family. So there, there they were for him. It's really a joyful story. I absolutely loved it. I remember one of the one of the lines I remember with um, Clint and his mom is they say I love you in English. Yes. Because it's easier to do that and less complicated than in Chinese. Yes. Yes. Well, that they don't say it in Chinese. They just don't say it. It's not a thing they say, which is genuinely fascinating. I look forward to also reading um, the tea one because that that sounds like so much fun. It is um, fun. It is. It really is. But but also, you know, yeah, it's romantic as well, even in the midst of this, <laughs> the midst of this apocalypse. Because I don't think I really took much notice of the blur because I read Red Envelope first, I think, and I was so in love with the writing. I was just like, I'm going to read it. It's great. And then I'm kind of slowing down and going, is this, are they going to survive this? Has, 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 oh, my God. <laughs> Am I reading a romance? And I was and it was fine. But I, yeah, I mean, he completely convinced me in the middle there that this was just not going to end well. So it's it's really good writing. And he and he really makes me laugh as well, because one of the Clinton in uh, Tea at the End of the World is a real kind of nerd. So there's kind of excellent film references. And yeah, it's it's funny and poignant and slightly scary in part. Well, not really like horror scary, but yeah, definitely you feel this like <gasps> feeling. Yeah, that that sounds absolutely stunning to I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that 112 pages or something I mean my goodness I wish I could be that succinct <laughs> me, honestly me too one of the others that we both read is the cocky cellist cellist by Cole McCade there's something about like rich characters sometimes they're just billionaires yeah yeah, I mean, I'm anti-billionaire. Trust me, the, the easiest way to make me not want to read your book is to put billionaire in the title because I'm just I'm not going to warm to them. But I do love Cole McCade's writing and I kind of trusted him to take me. But the books I trust to have a certain aesthetic about life and I trust him to bring me a story that is real 
you know, and not fantasy, billionaires are amazing, fluff in their in their own way or unquestioning. Forget fluff because fluff has a place and I love it, but I don't enjoy billionaire fluff. And so from my perspective, I thought, no, I'm going to read this. I'm going to give it a try. And um, and what I loved was is that the 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 billionaire is Vic and his um, love interest is Amani. And Amani is Moroccan and femme and fierce and an amazing cellist. Vic is not a very amazing cellist. And they end up getting cello lessons, which turn into other kinds of lessons. Yes. And now the thing's going to become a bit more and that's that yeah. that was a lot of fun yes and I love the fact that the billionaire was not the dom like if the billionaire had been the dom I was walking away very fast and I was not letting the door hit me in the backside on the way out but that's not where we were headed with it and it was great and what I really loved was that Amani, as he starts to realize that he's falling for this guy um needs to hold him to account he needs to do something better with the money that he has than what he's currently doing and and Vic gets that and he wants to be and do better so in actual fact it was exactly what I needed to keep going to the end of a billionaire romance because normally you know they're still a billionaire at the end billionaireing away in their capitalist little way and yeah no and that's that's not what we got and I I really enjoyed it yeah I, I do remember enjoying that and that he was held to account and that there was no letting him get away with things and like that the power like the dynamic of the one character being richer than the other didn't feel skeevy as it kind mm-hmm. of can with power dynamics yeah especially the ones with class yes and the fact that essentially some of the money is changing hands once we've gone through the cello lesson stage to for for kink I mean it's a very kinky book and and I love the fact that at no point did we trip over the idea of you know sex work being anything other than work and you know it was yeah I loved it it you know lots of the the usual alarm bells or you know dog whistles is not the right word but you know where there's a judgment where there's an inherent judgment about how someone's earning their money yeah no there wasn't any of that so it wasn't just the status quo is fine capitalism is great billionaires are naturally the world's winners so they're amazing like there was just none of that and I trusted I absolutely trust Cole to bring me those characters and he did so we both read In Pursuit Of by Courtney Milan. We did. I mean, I read this when it first came out because I love a bit of Courtney Milan. And so we've got John, who is, no, yes. We've got John, who is a black soldier. And we've got Henry, who, uh, so we've got black soldier for the US. And then we've got Henry, who is a British soldier. And this, they meet. One of them spares the other one's life. And he feels that he has to repay that. And it's the the white soldier whose life is spared by the black soldier. And the black soldier is 100% convinced he's never seeing that guy again. He just just wants to get home to Newport. That's all he wants to do. Leave the army and go home and just be done. And then I think it's Henry. Henry is the white dude who's like, no, I'm coming along with you and I'm bringing my stinky cheese with me and we're going to eat this stinky cheese all the way from Virginia to Newport, Rhode Island. And it's just, <laughs> it's it's the only time where I'm just like, no, no, please stop eating the stinky cheese. Yes, I want you to die of eating stinky doing? cheese. Yeah, seriously, that cheese was, man, that cheese. But it's a lovely story. It's a really beautiful story. And once again, I think we can definitely call that an anti-racist novel as well. You know, it's an anti-racist romance because we see 
yeah, I mean, Henry's got convictions that are, yeah, I mean, he, he, I did, one of the things that really made me snort at the, at the beginning is, is that they're in battle with one another. Um, Henry is chatting to, to the, they're both trying to murder each other or kill each other. And, um, and he's chatting and he ends up calling himself, Henry calls himself imperialist scum, which just really had me laughing. And he's, he's, you know, politically, he doesn't have any truck with what's going on in imperialist Britain. And, you know, go for it, Henry. I woohoo. And so it's really, it's not really surprising when he ends up tagging along with poor John. But John just wants to be left alone. It's really, it's such an inspiring, it's just such an unusual story. I really enjoyed it. It, it was so much fun, and I just love how Henry speaks because it reminded me of how my ADHD, when I speak sometimes, but I just, like, keep going and, like, circle back from point A to point C and then eventually get to point B. Um, yeah. And it's just, it was, it, it made me cry. In that same novella, not novel, it's not novella, in that same anthology was That Could Be Enough by Alyssa Cole. Yes which is an absolutely beautiful story about uh, Mercy, who's serving as the maid for Eliza Hamilton and the in a, oh, a, a woman who shows up to give an interview in her grandfather's stead. And yeah. it just, I loved how the relationship developed and how it, we don't get, and I, re, I know why we don't get that many relation, many stories like this from that time period. And it just, it was just very lovely. Mm. What I really loved about it was the fact that Andromeda, who's the business owning, very independent, spirited black woman, to Mercy's um, servant black woman, um, who's kind of lost her passion. She doesn't she doesn't love anything anymore because she's kind of had life knocked out of her. Whereas Andromeda still has this real sense of of what will be possible. And what's amazing is is that it's this tiny little sliver of period of history where things haven't quite happened yet to beat her down so maybe the next generation would not be quite so zingy as Andromeda is that she's obviously had troubles you know she's she's obviously arrived on the continent of North America through means that are not her own propulsion but she she has not got to that point in history yet where you know she's been shown her place by the political powers you know and I just love that I just absolutely love that and obviously there are amazing black women through all of US and Caribbean history who have done extraordinary things but I love that this character it, she just really seems incredibly reflective of her time and I really enjoyed that. So one of the books that is on my TBR to read is Zenny by Rebecca Weatherspoon. Yes, and yes, yes. Idlewild by uh, Jude Sierra. Actually, most yes. of Jude's books are on my TBR. I've read a couple of them, but those are those are definitely. And then um, How to Be Remy Cameron by Julian Winters is absolutely one I would love to. Yes. I, I need to read. Yeah, yeah. I can that I can highly recommend Idlewild. I really, really enjoyed it. It's a beautiful story. And um I mean it's yes, there's there's layers and it's it's yeah, I really, really enjoyed it very, very much indeed. For me, I am circling behind these doors by Jude Lucens, um, because it's a polyamorous romance and it's set in, in Britain and it's histrom and you don't get a lot of Histrom that's queer with queer characters of colour in it um, or written by queer 
authors of colour. And I don't know, because I haven't read it yet, whether it's got any characters who are of colour in it or not. I don't know, but I do know I that... Um, remember if it does but I think the characters in the little side story that you read do appear yes, in it so I'm not I don't entirely remember does. yeah I, I've started roses. it but I haven't finished it well Gutter Roses which is um also a radical proposals um series so that's the the series that behind these doors comes from that very definitely has a black character and um and it's a lovely little story it's 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 really beautiful and once again to buy characters so and just beautifully done because it's really short but yeah it doesn't have to be complicated to put by characters into stories and she's done a really great job so i i really enjoyed that yeah, yeah. and behind these bars tempts me because i love a polyamorous romance so i'm i'm yeah i'm looking at there's that there's one thinking, more oh. um polyam romance that i found today from katrina jackson katrina jackson's list that she posted earlier today um yeah. it's be mine an interracial polyam romance it's an m f m m Possibly an M M F M. There are three M's and an F. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> and it's by Savannah J. Frierson, and it's about Ingrid Harris, who's never had a Valentine, but she's got these three gorgeous single housemates. So mm. that, that I look forward to reading that. And um, what's that called? Uh, Be mine. Be mine. Okay, that sounds good. I'm making a note. Making and- a note. Thank you again for joining us today, Costanza. You can find me, Sarah, at queer underscore reader on Twitter, and then my book club at Rainbow Readers in Massachusetts on Facebook. And where can they find you? People can find me on my Patreon. And yeah, for now, that's that's will be followed very shortly by a website. But Patreon with free, free content, that's the place right now. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us, Costanza. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Rom Book Pod, Inclusively Yours, a new weekly podcast celebrating inclusive romance, one trope at a time. If you'd like weekly recommendations for inclusive romance, please take a moment to subscribe. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at Rom Book Pod. That's R-O-M-B-K-P-O-D. Thank you for joining us, and until next time, happy reading.